And so let's continue looking at that Jesus is the true light. So far in this series, we, we've considered that Jesus is the light of creation. He is the light that overcomes darkness. And today, we'll consider that Jesus is the light of the invisible God. In order to do that, we're going back to John. So let's check out John. This time, we are going to be in John 1, and we're going to pay special attention to verses 14 through 18. Let me read those to you. John 1, 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of Him and cried out, saying, this was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time, the only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. So there are three things I'm going to point out to you from this passage. So let me start with this. No one has seen God at any time. John makes a statement in verse 18. Now you might be thinking, well, of course, no one has ever seen God because God is spirit. He's invisible. So nobody's ever seen God. And while that is correct at one level, for sure, on another level, there is this fact and reality that throughout the Old Testament, God allowed himself to be seen in physical, tangible forms. Um, You may recall that God appeared to Abraham as a, a smoking oven and a flaming torch. To Job, he appeared as a tornado or a hurricane. To Jacob, God appeared as this terrible wrestler. Of course, on Mount Sinai, God appeared as a lightning and smoke and fire. As God led the Israelites, he appeared as a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day. And so in the Old Testament, the invisible God allowed himself to be seen in tangible physical forms, right? So is John wrong in saying that no one has ever seen God? Uh, No, he's not wrong, because what John means is that no one has ever seen God in his fullness, in completeness. That's what John means. In the past ways that God revealed himself in the Old Testament, they were always, um, there are always appearances that conceal God's glory to one degree or another. But why? Why? Did God always conceal the full weight of his glory? Well, in Exodus 33:20, when Moses said to God, show me your glory, God's response was what? You cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. So, <laughs> the reason nobody could see the full weight of God's glory is because it would literally kill them. But why would it kill? Why would seeing the full weight of God's glory kill a person? Well, Think about how those who even saw a physical manifestation, although concealed, how they responded to it in the Old Testament. The common response was something like, I am unclean, right? Depart from me, I am a sinner. 
And so I think we can surmise to see the full weight of God's glory would kill us because we would see just how extremely good God is and yet how extremely and desperately wicked we are. And that, and that difference would be crushing to us. It would be so overwhelming to us that it would literally kill us. And I think if we struggle with this thought, it's because we struggle to understand how amazingly good God is and how messed up we are. When I graduated from high school, I thought I was a pretty good guitar player. And then I went to college and I got around uh, some other people and learned that I was a mediocre guitar player at best. Why is that? It's because I actually got to be around people who were great guitar players. Back at home, there were a few guitar players that I even know, knew, so of course I was pretty good, right? I think this is the same thing with us and God. We are often comparing ourselves with other deeply flawed human beings, and so we think we're all pretty good off, pretty decent off. But we have no idea what it would feel like to stand before the holy, glorious God of the universe. It would crush us. And this is why Christmas is so amazing. <laughs> so the next point I want to mention to you is, so we started with no one has seen God, that is completely and fully. And then we go to this point that I want to mention to you from our passage, is that Jesus made God's glory both extremely visible and astonishingly approachable. So let's just take that first part. Jesus made God's glory extremely visible. The boys and I, we did our recycling this past week, and so we loaded up all our stuff, went to the township garage. And on the sign there, it says, like, no TVs. And there are the picture, there's a picture of those very old, you know, TVs that we, most of us grew up with that are like 500 pounds, right? And they're just kind of laughing about, like, the TVs look like that, and we were talking about it. And I still remember when we got our first color TV as a family, it was remarkable, it was amazing. Color, Miami Vice was on. It was a good day for me back in 1980, I don't know, four, five, six, seven, somewhere in there, right? Um, but when we think about those old TVs, they're so, and if you've ever seen, if you've watched one lately, they're so blurry and fuzzy, right? John is saying in this passage that Jesus is God in 8K Ultra HD. That's what John is saying in this passage. To look at Jesus is to look at God with crystal clarity, is what John is telling us. Um, at the end of our passage, it says that Jesus declared God. Well, other translations say that Jesus has made not God known. Or, check this out, I love this. Jesus has explained God. So if you're looking for an explanation of God, look no further than Jesus. This is remarkable considering how concealed God's glory has been throughout human history, right? That's why John 1.14 could say, We beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father. Can you imagine Moses hearing this? You beheld God's glory? Are you serious? I'm jealous, right? Um, verse 18 tells us why Jesus has revealed the glory of God and why he's able to do that. We were talking about this on the way over. 
Isaiah asked me, what does it mean uh, to be, like, what is a bosom? <laughs> and so we were explaining, what is a bosom? And so we talked about it, and, you know, John 18 says the reason that Jesus is able to declare God with such crystal clarity in ultra HD is because he's known God the Father from all eternity past and has been in the closest relationship possible with him, and that's what it means to be in a person's bosom. That's why Jesus can do that. Another reason why Jesus can declare God, make God known with crystal clarity, is because John 1, 1 tells us that Jesus was God. Remember? Although Jesus is a distinct person from God the Father, he shares the Father's being, essence, character. And so, that's why the Apostle Paul could write things like in Colossians 1, 19, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Colossians 2.9, for in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Hebrews 1.1-3, God who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, who being the brightness of his glory in the express image of his person. That's why Jesus himself could say in John 14.9, he who has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus made God's glory extremely visible, but he also made it astonishingly approachable. Check this out. If you are God and you are the creator of the universe, the most powerful being of all, and you're going to make yourself a human being, wouldn't you at least come as like a very handsome king? with a bunch of power and status and privilege and a full entourage of people, you know, welcoming you into this world as a human being. I mean, even that would be way below God's glory, right? But he doesn't. How does Jesus come? How did God come? He comes as a baby. Why? Is there anything more approachable than a baby? Um, you know, a toddler can kick you in the shins, yell at you, run away from you, whatever. Probably all have experienced it. But a baby, so long as they're well fed, right? And they're changed. They let you hold them. They let you draw near. They're so accessible. That's why God came as a baby. Another reason that lets us know that God is so approachable is that baby lived and experienced every single suffering that we can experience in life. And when you're hurting and you're going through something that's really difficult, who do you want to talk to? I want to talk to somebody who's been there, who's actually gone through what I'm going through. And you know who else I want to talk to? It's somebody who's gone through it and has overcome it. That's who I want to talk to. Um, and so Jesus... He made himself so approachable, God's glory so approachable in that he came as a baby. He came as a human being, and then he experienced everything that we experience so that we can draw near to him confidently, knowing that he can empathize. He knows what it's like to be us. This is extraordinary. Um, when I was at a conference this past, uh, maybe it's been over a year ago, but um, I heard this lady from Africa speak about going through the genocide. Um, most of her family was killed in, during the genocide. And her and friends, after the genocide, were trying to like make sense right, of the 
horrendous suffering that they experienced. And they were talking, and this is what she said in her book that I read in regards to it, it accounts and, and her experience. She says this, Together we pondered problems that had confounded our people since 1994. Where was God during the genocide? Why does he permit such cruelty? How can God use sorrow? Each question led us to the cross where Jesus stretched out his arms to the whole human race. In the West, check this out, in the West, us, I've met people who cannot grasp why Jesus had to die. Couldn't God have pardoned humankind without that torture? But in Rwanda, where we saw evil unmasked, it makes all the difference to know that God's own son has been there too. So, do you hear what she's saying? <laughs> Tons of questions that she didn't have answers for. But, because she believed that the God who created her and loved her and the God that she served um, came and suffered and died, she had comfort knowing that this was a God who had experienced all the atrocities that she had experienced. It brought her comfort. What's more is she knew that although she had these unanswered questions, one reason why this all happened couldn't have been because God didn't love her. Because he would have never went to the cross and he would have never come so visible and approachable. And so surely it couldn't be he didn't care for her. And he didn't love her. What's more, she was saying in what she said is like, look, if, if I was worshiping a God who never came and suffered and experienced the worst of human evil like I did, my faith would have never been sustained. I wouldn't have been able to keep worshiping a God who's just distant and aloof and doesn't know what it's like to suffer. You see, Christmas tells us the wonderful news. That God so desires to be with us and he so desires for us to know his glory that he made himself a baby. He experienced the, every type of sorrow that we experience so that God's glory could be ultra-visible and approachable. By the way, no other worldview states this. This is completely unique to Christianity. Other worldviews will tell you that you got to earn your way to God. you got to earn your way to heaven. Christianity tells you heaven came down for you and entered your pain and suffering, didn't remain aloof and distant from it. This leads us to the third thing. So no one has seen God, but Jesus has made his glory um, extremely visible and astonishingly approachable. Third thing is Jesus revealed that God's glory is full of grace and truth. So what is God's glory like? Well, John emphasizes not once but twice in our passage that God's glory is full of grace and truth. And this is important, especially this time of the year, because check this out. If, if God in Christ was not full of grace and truth, there would be no Christmas. There would be no Christmas. Have you ever met somebody full of truth but absent of grace? They're just hard they're just insensitive. They lack compassion. Can you imagine if God was just full of truth and not full of grace? 
He would have just been like, look, I have set the standard. I have made my truth known and how you are to be living. So do it. And if you don't do it, you're going to get what you deserve. Right? And God would have been justified and right in doing so. Thankfully, he's not just full of truth. Now, on the flip side, what if God was just full of grace and not full of truth? Also, have you ever met a person that's just full of grace and absent of truth? They may compliment you all the time. They may encourage you all the time. But you know deep down in you did a shoddy job, or you know deep down in that you've done wrong. And so you, you start to not even be able to trust a person that is just full of grace and not full of truth. It's like, what are they really thinking? And I know that I haven't done well. And can you imagine if God was this type of God? Hey, it's okay, you messed up. It doesn't matter. Um, you know, I'll turn a blind eye to it. Can you imagine telling... Uh, this lady who I quoted in Africa and her people that God is, eh, it's okay. I don't care about truth and justice. And in any of these, in both of these cases, if God was only truth or only grace, he would have not needed to come as a baby and die on the cross. Because if he was just full of truth, he wouldn't care about grace. He wouldn't care about coming and suffering and dying for you. And if he was only about grace, he would say that there was no need for me to come and suffer for you because I'm just turning a blind eye to all your misgivings. Don't you see that the reason there is Christmas and the reason we celebrate is because God is both full of grace and truth. Amen. So, and by the way, Jesus allows God to punish our sin without punishing us. It allows him to maintain his truth and his justice, at the same time extend us grace and mercy. On the cross, Jesus' truth and his grace kissed, and, they, and it liberated us. This is what we celebrate at Christmas, that this baby was born to die in this way, to make God's grace and truth come to us in such a remarkable way. So, how do we apply this? Let me just, I mean, there's just a lot of good stuff here, right? No one has seen God in any time, but in this miracle of Christmas, Jesus made God's glory both extremely visible and astonishingly approachable, and Jesus revealed that that glory, the, the amazing goodness of God, is full of grace and truth. Now, what do we do with this? So let me offer two things to you this Christmas season. The first is this. Behold God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. Behold God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. That's what John and his buddies did, right? He said in verse 14, I think it was, we beheld his glory. What does it mean to behold something? Well, it doesn't mean a casual look at something. It means to look at something intentively. It means to look at something and contemplate it. It means to look at something and examine it. Well, if you're going to behold God's glory, what are you going to examine? Come on now, his grace and his truth. Behold God's grace and God's truth, his glory this Christmas season. Um, Mary and I, and so I would ask you, do you have a regular practice of doing this? This will bring immense freedom to your life, regularly beholding God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ that is full of grace and truth. 
If you don't have a regular practice of this, uh, one of the things that Mary and I and some other people in our life group have found helpful is the She Reads Truth, He Reads Truth Advent Devotional. We found it's done an excellent job putting us in the scriptures so that we can behold God's glory. I would encourage you to do it if you don't have anything. You can find it online. It's free. Second thing. So behold God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. The second way we can apply what we've learned is bear witness of God's glory in Jesus so that all might believe. So we learn that's what John the Baptist did, right? In verses, or verse 7 here, he bore witness to the glory of God so that all might believe. And this is pretty remarkable that John lived this way. Because what did Jesus say about John in Luke 7, 28? What did, what did Jesus say about John? He gave John the most remarkable endorsement ever. He said this, I tell you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. How would you have liked Jesus to say that about you? And so out of, out of anybody, maybe whoever existed, John could have lived for his own glory. Right? But he didn't, and you, you see in John 3.30 where John says about Jesus, he must increase, I must decrease. John, this amazing, amazing individual, was living for God's glory. He was living to bear witness to God's glory, being full of grace and truth, so that all might believe. 